0: Thank you, Noad. That was not a uh, familiar tune that we opened with, but um, the words are especially appropriate for uh, today, that uh, heavenly blessings without measure flow to us from Christ the Lord. We're gonna uh, look at that in our passage today. I'd like us to turn to Galatians 3. We're continuing in our study of Galatians. Paul has um, a definite message for saints in uh, the churches of Galatia and the uh, fellowship at Calvary Bible Chapel, California. Do you sense a repetitiveness, a sameness in messages from Paul's letter to the Galatians? Um, Some of you have not been here to to listen to the messages, but um, do you sense that there is a repetition, that we're covering the same ground as we we go through Galatians? The apostle seems to hammer away at the same theme. At the same theme, Uh, was he exhausting his poor hearers in an attempt to make his point? We think not if we properly assess the danger that there was in the uh, Galatian churches. What was the problem? Paul wrote in chapter two, he said, false brethren secretly brought in, came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. These spiritual pretenders sought to force on their hearers the demands of God's law, the law that God gave to Moses. And they, they sought to force these demands on them for their salvation, for keeping their salvation, <clears throat> and for making their salvation even better, okay? But um, they were putting demands on people that no one on earth could fulfill. No one could, could perform these. No one could keep them. They were effectively leading their followers away from Christ to condemnation, to a curse, to a Christless eternity. Paul summarized it this way in Galatians 2. He said, by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. It's not gonna happen. People have tried for millennia and no one has been able to comply with the laws of Moses. And then um, a couple weeks ago we looked at the verse, as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in them in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. There is a curse. God puts a curse on those who attempt the law. They say, I'm going to obey the 10 Commandments. They get started on that, and obviously they're going to find soon that they fail. And God says, because you didn't continue, because you didn't fulfill those Ten Commandments, there is a curse associated with that. But the Galatians seemed all too receptive. Like Israel's reception when Moses gave the the Ten Commandments, what was Israel's? Attitude. What was Israel's response? Listen very carefully. All the people answered together and said, "All that the Lord has spoken, we will do." Really. That was their attitude. That was their um, their pride. Um, and I am not pointing fingers at Israel because uh, I I can well identify with them. But there is. Um, a sense of, of satisfaction of um, accomplishment that we have when we do something and we do it well. So imagine in heaven, like a, a group of old um, sports figures um, or college buddies, imagine in heaven people bragging about the, the laws that they kept and how they earned such a great salvation through, through the Ten Commandments. Uh, God uh, tells us through his apostle in the book of Ephesians that that no one will boast. No one's going to boast in heaven because salvation doesn't come through the law. Justification does not come through obeying the Ten Commandments. Well, was the problem serious? Yeah. Um, As serious as your soul is precious and the souls of these Galatian believers were precious, that's how serious the problem was. Paul uh, wrote, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. He says, uh, if, if you are um, so willing to, to abandon uh, the Lord Jesus, you're, you're saying that um, righteousness comes by the law and that Christ didn't have to die, that he died needlessly. That's, in effect, what they're saying. Yeah, the problem is serious. Paul, in fact, devotes two chapters to um, addressing this problem in uh, Galatians, actually the whole, the whole letter, and uh, chapter four of uh, Romans, as well as um, uh, much of 2 um, Corinthians, We've we've covered recently. Uh, this is a serious problem. There's um, uh, something that has to be addressed. It was for the Corinthians. It is for us today. And I, I think of two examples. Um, one was a Bible student I corresponded with for 11 years, and um, I would do. Uh, uh, distribute courses for, uh, for people. And after 11 years of correspondence, she answered this question, are you sure that you are truly saved? She said yes, because I try to keep the Ten Commandments. This was news to me, I, she was a very thorough student and uh, I had no idea that she, she believed this, but um, try as I might to get her, to persuade her to rely on the Lord Jesus alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, for her salvation. She stuck to that, um, to that belief that salvation is through Jesus and through my obeying the Ten Commandments. That's how I know I'm saved, is because I'm obeying the Ten Commandments. That's, that's, um, that's cursed because, um, because she uh, is not able to keep the Ten Commandments. There was a, a second instance where a coworker invited me to, um, to his church, and I knew that um, there was a problem with his doctrine, but I wanted to get to know him better, so I said, yeah, I'll, I'll come. So um, we, we sat through a time of singing and then a time of testimony and prayer, And I I remember vividly a woman standing in the meeting and saying to the effect, Jesus, help me. Jesus, accept me. Jesus, receive me. Because I'm trying so hard to obey you. And um, by the sound of the amens from the congregation and other testimonies that I heard, I realized that this, um, this church was characterized by this uh, works orientation, this, um, this belief that if I obey the Ten Commandments, I'm gonna be okay. They were relying on the law for their salvation. That's too bad, that is. If, uh, if you haven't been challenged by modern day Judaizers, stand by, you will, you will be. People who say, I believe I'm a good person, I believe in the Ten Commandments, um, in obeying them for my soul's eternal welfare. Um, do you know the Ten Commandments? I guess is the first question to ask a person. Um, what are they? Could you, could you summarize those for me to see um, you can't obey what you, you don't know? In persuading the Galatians from this curse of the law, trying to get them to believe in justification by faith, that the apostle doesn't mean to bore his hearers, but to lay down a firm defense for this doctrine against a false doctrine. So in chapters uh, three and four, the apostle provides arguments or reasons against the Judaizers false gospel. And he skillfully demolishes their doctrine step by step. We who follow the Lord Jesus are called to fight. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 10, the weapons of our warfare, he doesn't say if you you, uh, go to battle, but he's saying the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds These strongholds are fortresses of wrongly placed human confidence. Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So there's a fight. There's a fight on. And believers in Jesus are called to participate. In Jude we read that we are to contend for the faith. That is we are to struggle to fight for this, uh, the purity of the gospel and the, um, uh, the preservation of uh, testimony in God's word. I, I think of um, Noad's example uh, that he gave early on in our study of Galatians, he used the example of um, Ulysses S. Grant, uh, Union General in the Civil War. <clears throat> Grant was under fire, um, figuratively, for losing so many soldiers at the Battle of Shiloh. And um, Lincoln countered, he said, "I, I can't spare this man, he fights. And that's what the Lord wants us to do. He wants us to fight for the faith. So in chapters three and four of Galatians, the apostle offers nine arguments for justification by faith. And by way of overview, let's summarize each of these eight arguments. In in Galatians three, one through five, this chapter, Paul uses the Galatians' own testimony. He says, um, you were saved by by faith. Why do you... um, why do you think you're gonna continue in the law? Put our first slide up, uh, Christine. And um, Luke used the illustration of this, um, this person lost at sea, uh, swimming as, as far as he could in heavy seas, and uh, as he was going down for the third time, a helicopter came and rescued him, pulled him up right out of the sea. So um, he was thankful. You know, you guys are great. Um, I, was, I was about to drown. And so they, they give him some, uh, some nourishment. He's starting to feel better. And he thinks to himself, you know what? I'm a lifeguard. I should be able to, uh, to take care of this myself. Would you guys drop me back into the sea and let me finish swimming to shore? Well, that's ridiculous. But that's what the law is. We think I'm saved by grace. I'm going to continue in the law. Paul says, you foolish Galatians, who has hypnotized you? Who has deceived you into believing this? So that's, um, that's argument number one. Second, in verses six through nine, Paul offers the testimony of Old Testament scripture, and he points out that God justified Abraham through faith and that we must come to God in the same way. Then, as um, we've already discussed in uh, verses 10 through 14, there's the curse of the law imperfectly obeyed. Christ has redeemed all those who trust in him from the curse of the law, and yet um, we find those who are willing to to subject themselves to try uh, obeying the law for salvation. Next slide, Christine. Um, Daniel, I believe, used this illustration, Arbeit, Arbeit mocked frei. And it uh, appeared at the entrance of death camps, um, Jewish concentration camps during World War II. The promise was as you rolled up to the camp, Arbeit, work makes free, work makes you free. So you work hard enough, You work long enough, you can get out of here. There was only one exit to the concentration camp and it was not through the gate. It was a lie, it was a deception. And those of us who attempt to uh, come to God through the law are under the same, under a similar deception that work makes free. On the contrary, Jesus makes free. Faith in Christ makes free, work does not. This is, um, this is an example of trying to, uh, to work for salvation. My heart goes out to those who uh, suffered the horrors of the concentration camp, but um, how would a person knowing what was going on inside the concentration camp go walk in, and that's basically what we have um, people knowing that the law doesn't save and yet they're going to, to try it anyway. Fourth, uh, there's the testimony of human covenants. We're going to cover that today. God's promise to Abraham was not nullified at all by his law to Moses. Next week, Lord willing, we will look at the purpose of the law. Okay, so if the law doesn't save, why did God give the law? Why? Uh, Why was that so important to Israel to have the law and for Israel to be custodians of the law to us? Then in uh, chapter three, verses 26 through 29, the blessings of our union with Christ, another argument Paul uses, and he says that believers in Christ are heirs according to God's promise. In uh, chapter four, verses one through seven, He offers a legal illustration and he says that believers in Christ are adopted sons and are no longer bound by the law. In uh, verses eight through 20 of chapter four, Paul gives an impassioned appeal to the believers that the uh, Galatians must recognize their inconsistency and regain that freedom in Christ. And finally, uh, Paul in uh, verses 21 through 31 offers a historical illustration, and he uses um, an allegory. He presents um, uh, Abraham's sons as um, representing the uh, the law and God's promise. I look forward to to that. So we may use any or all of these these arguments, these reasons against those today who are preaching a false gospel of of works for salvation or to use them in the lives of those who are truly confused. They're seeking the Lord. They're not sure how the law fits into uh, God's plan. And so these are available to us as, um, uh, as arguments. Okay, Galatians 3, and let's pick up at verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, But God gave it to Abraham by promise. In verse 14, Paul tells uh, that the blessing of Abraham would come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. What must that have done to the the hearers in uh, these churches in Galatia that, um, okay, Paul, you're talking about Abraham. He's our father, we are his sons, and so now, you're going to um, you're going to show our argument as Judaizers that um, that the law is necessary. Well, Paul seems to anticipate this. So in um, in verse 15 he picks up here and uh, realizes that the Judaizers would not deny God's promise to Abraham. He God had promised that and you all the nations shall be blessed. God reckoned Abraham righteous because he believed God, but then God gave his law to Moses, and this law must be taken into account. If the law did not set aside the promise, the Judaizers would say, it certainly added to it, so that to faith must be added the works of the law. So the apostle picks up here with a um, a gracious illustration from the business world. And he refers to this contract, uh, man's covenant. We use covenants today in the business world. We call them contracts. And at my work, we see contracts worth hundreds of thousands of dollars come through. Slide, Christine. Often the contracts are uh, are altered by our contracts department, so they look kind of red uh, when they get to us. There are lines stricken, there are stipulations added, there are notes on the side, and the two women that I know in our contracts department are very sweet, but I think when they get a red pen in their hand they can be pretty savage. Okay, so this doesn't seem to be a very good specimen of Paul's example um, that, um, that, you, that God's covenant is, um, no one annuls or adds to it, because here are these people annulling and adding to the covenant. What's missing from this contract? Next slide. Ah, the, um, the signature, the agreement, okay. So it's not a contract until it's confirmed. It's ratified, it's signed. Now, next slide. Push and pull as you may. The terms of the contract are now fixed. You, uh, you can snip and cut and paste and do whatever you want, but the two parties have to hold to that contract. There's no, uh, there's no change at that point. Okay, so yes. Uh, no one's going to annul or add to a human contract. You're bound to that. You're, you're, you're gonna perform as the contract requires. You know that um, contracts or covenants can be conditional. Most are, or unconditional. It's, um, it's conditional if performance is required by multiple Parties, but if someone makes a contract, if someone makes a covenant unilaterally, that means I'm going to perform. It doesn't matter what you do; I'm going to provide the um, the service that I promise. God's covenant with Abraham was unconditional. It was it was purely God, promising that He was going to bless Abraham through His seed, through His descendants. Abraham was free of any requirements to work, to perform, to act. We see that in a human sense, to default or to fail to act on a human contract is dishonorable. You put your name on the line. You put your signature there. The Judaizers, in effect, were saying about God that he had altered the terms of his covenant with Abraham. This is very important. It was unthinkable that God would enter into a covenant with Abraham and then come back afterwards and alter it, annul it, or add to it. So there's a force to God's covenant because of its recipient in verse 16. To Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. God promised in Abraham and his seed, his offering, his descendants, that he would bless all nations. And the apostle points out that the word in Hebrew is is used here in the singular. We may not have known that if Paul hadn't pointed it out, but it is, uh, in this usage, singular, and it refers to the Lord Jesus. Through Christ, God would bless all nations. Jesus would bring the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. In Jesus, God would bless every nation of the earth, every family. His promise in Genesis twenty-eight fourteen was, in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How would God bless all nations through this singular descendant. Well, very simply, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent His Son from heaven, gave His Son to live 30 years among us, and to teach an additional three years, and then to give His life on the cross of Calvary that He might bless the nations, bless the families of the earth. He is um, the propitiation for our sins. That is, he is the uh, just satisfaction. He he fulfills God's just requirement for, um, uh, for declaring us righteous. Jesus is that one, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. No one is outside the scope of God's mercy His love, his invitation reaches to the uh, most remote tribal village, to the busiest city center, to the most rabid terror cell. God's love extends to them, and the blessing becomes ours when we receive it by faith. As generous and far-reaching as that blessing is, It is found only in Abraham's seed, singular, the Lord Jesus. And we read this in Acts 4, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So there is blessing. There is large blessing. And it comes only through the Lord Jesus. That is God's chosen um, minister of his blessing. And as abundant and as eternal as a blessing is, God's invitation is time sensitive, all right? uh, It's for a limited time only. It's amazingly brief. It extends the life of an individual. So we must receive his blessing now in this lifetime. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Come ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous, sinners Jesus came to call. God's covenant has force because of its timing. God in his wisdom waited 430 years after his promise to Abraham to give the law through Moses. This was ample time to prove that justification is by faith and without assistance from the law. Next slide. So we see that um, God promised to Abraham his descendants, though he and uh, Sarah were well past their childbearing years, and um, he called Abraham out to the night sky, and he said, these are as your descendants shall be. Abraham believed God, <clears throat> and God accounted that faith to Abraham as righteousness. But it wasn't until Moses, 430 years later, that God gave the Ten Commandments. Um, inscribed them there on tablets of stone, and uh, Moses gave them to Israel. 430 years later, we say, well, uh, we we may argue, uh, well, wasn't circumcision required uh, of Abraham? Yes, but even circumcision wasn't for 14 years. Um, so... 430 years, how long is that? What happened 430 years ago in Western history? We need a historian, a historian to figure this one out. 1588. Do you have a slide there, Christine, of, um, yeah. Uh, Sir Francis Drake um, attacked the Spanish Armada and uh, deflected them from invading England. <laughs> in 1588, how many remember your history? Um, Okay, thanks, Christine. Uh, A lot of history has happened since Francis Drake uh, defeated the Spanish Armada. So uh, does that give you a flavor? Does that give you an appreciation for the length of time between God's promise to Abraham and God's uh, giving of his law? There have been a lot of uh, souls justified by faith in the interim. So the point that Paul is making, I believe, is that there is so much history contained in those 430 years, it frustrates the Judaizers' attempt to marry the um, uh, promise and the law, it separates the two. The law is far removed from God's promise both in time and in purpose. The apostle gives a very distinct purpose for his law. The law is good. God gave the law. The law belongs to God. But we must use the law lawfully. <clears throat> and I trust that um, David will cover that in his um, message next week. God confirmed his covenant. There's. Um, uh, there's a an acting out of this, um, the the covenant in um, the smoking oven and burning torch of Genesis 15, uh, verses 7 through 17. There was the confirmation of this covenant through the miraculous birth of Isaac. Um, God gave Isaac to them in fulfillment of um, of his promise to give him descendants that's in uh, Genesis 21 and then in Genesis 22 God by an oath by himself he swears that um, uh, that his covenant is true so he confirms that it's ratified that was um, that was verse 17 and then Uh, In verse 18, for if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. God gives his inheritance by the law keeping or by faith, not by a combination, not by a hybrid, not by uh, any sort of um, joining of the two. Paul told the Romans. He said, "If those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of no effect. There's um, the two are opposed to each other: law, the law, and the promise; faith and law keeping." This word gave in um, verse 18. God gave it to Abraham by promise. Is um, a different uh, word than we, we normally would find in the New Testament. It's, um, its meaning is to show favor, to give freely, to bestow, bestow by grace. So it carries the added emphasis that God is, is graciously giving, he's, he's freely giving this promise to Abraham with no, no special conditions, no fine print, no hidden requirements. All the promises of God in him are yes, and in him amen to the glory of God through us. In conclusion, because of its timing, because of its force, because of its purpose, the law cannot touch God's promise. Its timing, God gave it to Moses, 430 years after his promise to Abraham, its force, the law is not able to annul or add to a covenant ratified by God, and then the purpose of the law to be explored next week. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your messengers who hammer away at points that are so extremely important to us. And um, uh, you present people to us who are confused by uh, the Ten Commandments and the law. We pray that we might use these reasons in, in the book of Galatians, the letter to the Galatians, to sort through those for people. Uh, use us this week to help to clarify and define. And uh, those who are, um, are set in their ways. They, uh, they're not um, willing to bow to your word. We pray that we might um, give them a hearty rebuke in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.